I'm Dave Rubin, and joining me on the Rubin Report this week is the host of Outkick, the coverage on Fox Sports Radio, and the author of Republicans Wear Sneakers Too, and one of the breast guests we've ever had on, <laughs> Clay Travis. Welcome back to the Rubin Report. I appreciate it. It's been, uh, we were just talking before we started here, I came in October of 2017, so it's been almost two years uh, since we hung out last time, and I got great feedback when I was hanging out with you last time. I appreciate you're going to come on uh, my new podcast as well uh, during this same kind of time frame, and uh, the world may have just gone crazier. You know, we were hoping that maybe the world would go less crazy when we talked back in October of 17. And it seems like things have just continued to spin uh, wildly. That does fit well with my notes because, yes, (laughs) Yes. the world has gotten crazier since then. Yeah, it's been about a a year and a half that I've been waiting to say that stupid breast joke I've done on Twitter about a thousand times. Uh, But the thing that kind of put you on the map outside of the sports world, let's just recap that that little nonsense because it does kind of capture sort of everything related to the media and outrage and all that. You dared to say that you the, like breasts on CNN. And, and the First Amendment. And I'm still yeah. banned by CNN. Like, yeah. uh, you think about all the people that they've had on who've done all the crazy things that they Russia have done. Coverage yes, and, like, yeah. I mean, all of Michael Avenatti, who's been on, you know, and now is, you know, he's on hundreds of times, and now he's, you know, uh, under, uh, under siege with all the different charges against him. But, yeah, they banned me for that. Uh, for saying I, the only two things in the world that uh, you know I can believed in completely, the First Amendment and boobs. And, uh, and, and look, it was good for me. The book, uh, Republicans Buy Sneakers 2, came out, and uh, it did re- really well, bestseller, um, and uh, got a lot of attention back in September. I think the paperback's coming out. I know you're working on your own book right now. Uh, but I think it galv- galvanized for many people what I think typically happens, which is the absurdity of false outrage and the what is and what cannot be said and what should and shouldn't be said. I think a lot of people are like you and I just kind of coming around on the idea that so much of, uh, frankly, what goes on in this country today is total bullshit. It, it's just endless yes. nonsense. Yes. And, and I'm glad you said something there about the what's happened to you since then. Yeah. Because I think a lot of people that care about what you do, that watch this show, that are paying attention to the culture war and all that, they still fear that the mob will destroy yes. them. And what I've been trying to show people, just through my own life, every week that the New York Times calls me alt-right or just the next, the <laughs> right, next right, stupidity, right, right, right. I'm like, you know, if you actually take a breath and don't lose your shit in the middle of it, Yes. not only will you survive, you will most likely thrive yeah. after, and I think you're an example of that. I think so, and, and I think you're right. There is this rush to apologize anytime someone criticizes you, yeah. even if you're sticking to things that you have long said in your career. My radio show is thriving you know, nationwide. We went over 300 affiliates, and one of the wild things I think that would surprise people is my show is dominating in a lot of different markets, right? Like our ratings in Los Angeles are up something like 400% in the past couple of years, right? Uh, Our numbers in Kansas City are up insanely. On the East Coast, we have done insanely well. In the South, where I'm from in Nashville, uh, we continue to do outstanding. The podcast numbers are, are booming. Uh, I started a television show daily on yep. FS1 uh, called uh, Lock It In, which is a, focused on sports gambling, but we have a lot of fun on there. Um, and, uh, and I've continued to be as outspoken as I ever have. And I, what I have seen, I don't know about you, but is people get frustrated because they want to take you down. And when you stick to what you believe in, the benefit is a lot of people have your back. Yeah. And they may not have your back in the same way publicly that you can, but... 
I am a big and have long been in law school. I, I, I kind of have come to this as I've gotten older, a big believer in the marketplace of ideas. And if we're artificially constraining what people feel comfortable talking about, I think it leads to a lot of the angst that exists in our country today. And so particularly in the world of sports, there are so many guys and girls out there who regularly slide into my DMs and say, I 100% agree with everything that you say, but yeah. because of how I'm employed or who employs me, I don't feel comfortable getting out on the battlefield like you do, but keep doing exactly what you're doing. Support for the Rubin Report comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Home is so much more than a house, it's your own little slice of heaven. That's why when you find the perfect place for you and your family, getting a mortgage shouldn't get in the way. Imagine how it feels to have an award-winning team by your side through every step of the mortgage process. It's awesome, and it's exactly what you get with Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Their team of mortgage experts is obsessed with finding a better way, which means that their number one goal is to make the home buying process smoother for you. Quicken Loans has helped millions of Americans achieve their dream of home ownership, and when you're ready to purchase the home of your dreams, they can help you too. Their teams care about getting you home. That's why J.D. Power is ranked Quicken Loans highest in customer satisfaction for primary mortgage origination nine years in a row and highest in mortgage servicing five years in a row. When you work with them, you get more than just a loan because Rocket Mortgage is more than just a lender. Get started online at rocketmortgage.com slash equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states, NMLS, consumeraccess.org, number 3030. For J.D. Power award information, visit jdpower.com. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Push button, get mortgage, and now back to the show. Does that type of person, though, drive you crazier than the person that doesn't contact you, that just remains quiet? Because it's like, you know, you're, you're not Jesus. You're just yeah, a guy yeah. doing your thing, right? Like, I'm just a guy I, doing my thing. And then when I get these messages from often people that are more popular than yeah, I am, yeah, more yeah, famous yeah. than I am, have more money than I am, and they're subtly like, yeah, keep doing it. It's like, well, I'm doing what I think is right, but like, you know, why yeah. do you get in this too? Like, get it, some skin in the game. It's you know? an interesting question. I, I think what protected me uh, early on was I started my own site, Outkick. And uh, Outkick, the coverage, uh, initially is just writing. Now we do a lot of videos. Now, obviously, it's a lot of audio as well. In fact, we do more video and audio than we do writing almost now. And once I started to produce revenue and realize, and I think you probably have gotten there too, you can take a breath and be like, okay, I'm never going to go hungry, right? I think anybody who yeah. tries to get into media, and especially early on, when I left the practice of law, my first question was, oh my God, is my family going to starve to death, right? Am I going to have to abandon my media career to go back to practicing law at some and, point? And it's hard to get over that, it's, right? Because I that still fear, have those worries sometimes. That fear is always in the back of your mind yeah. because we live in this cancel culture that somebody wants to believe they're going to cancel you. So it's, I, I guess I wish that there were more people who wanted to speak out, but if you're employed solely by a major corporation today, I totally understand the fear of, I got kids, you know, I got a mortgage payment. I got my kids' college funds that I'm worried about and everything else. Uh, and frankly, the way I think about it too is that leaves me a huge area to, to own, right? right. Where uh, there are a lot of people who may agree with me, which proves, you know, the audience responds to it, but others are afraid to say what I'm saying, even if they agree with it, which to me, you know, from a pure business perspective, I'm like, well, I'll just keep rolling, right? Yeah. I mean, well, it, what do you think it is about some people that are willing to kind of walk into that thing? Yeah. Because people will say that to me all the time. They'll, they'll, they always say that I'm brave. Yeah. I'm always like, I, I, it's not something I think about. I'm just doing what I think is right. That's it. 
That's a great line, because when I was a kid growing up, my favorite quote was from Davy Crockett. Uh, and Davy Crockett's most famous quote, uh, I think still is, although who knows, uh, be sure you're <laughs> He's right. He's got some new stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. Be sure you're right, and then go ahead. And so by the time I come out with an opinion, I have worked through every permutation of that opinion. You know, like if I give an opinion and somebody immediately responds on Twitter, well, did you think about X, which always happens? Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, we do on the radio show sometimes, we'll do a segment where I will flip and start arguing the other side. And I think that's the lawyer training in me. But by the time I go out with an opinion, I'm not just shooting off at the lip. Like I have kind of in my head worked through every different angle of an argument. And once I'm convinced that my opinion is right, I'm comfortable putting it out there. Now, here's the other thing. If you think I'm wrong, it doesn't bother me, yeah. right? Like yeah. I, I, I almost think, I remember when, uh, when there was the argument over Bush v. Gore. And the two sides of that argument, I think David Boyce had uh, Al Gore. Yep. And the other side, I'm forgetting the guy, the Ted Olson, I believe, was the other side. And they argued as hard as they could in front of the Supreme Court. And then I think they shook hands afterwards and may have gone out for a beer because they knew that it wasn't then in their hands. The Supreme Court had the decision to make. Each of them had made the argument for their side as good as they possibly can. And that's kind of the era that I wish we could go back to where we can disagree in the old school Senate, but you could have a situation where Orrin Hatch and uh, and Ted Kennedy are really good friends, mm-hmm. and and that's kind of what drove me crazy about this whole Joe Biden flare up, right? The segregationist yeah. comment, like, just because you work with someone doesn't mean you agree with everything that they've ever said, and this idea that you have to be at constant war with someone is just something that I repudiate and reject. Is it even worse than that in that it's really a war with the past? Yeah. So that's, when, when they get up there and they say, well, Biden, you talk to these people because he's actually got a 40-year right. record. Yeah. Doesn't mean he loved everybody. And it, we don't even have to get into the minutia of what he yeah. said or the people's right. hands he shook or any of that. But it's actually an erasure of the past. Yes. You don't just magically you know, go like that and hope, oh, okay, everything's great. We're in 2019, we're all evolved and perfect, which is so ridiculous. Yeah, yeah well, I, 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 always, I always like to say, because you know, I'm a big history guy, right? Um, and uh, you know, the Confederate statue debate and everything else. We live in an era where we believe that we are everything that's perfect in the world. And uh, I was having this conversation. Yeah, 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 right. right. They're all idiots. How do they ever make mistakes? But the reality is that 200 years from now, we are going to be advocating and embracing even the most woke members of our society for things that others will find later to be abhorrent. That's just how history works, right? And so, I, you know, the, the idea that we've reached the end of history is is kind of fascinating to me because. I think 200 years from now, it might well be, and I'm just tossing one out, that anybody who eats meat is an infidel, right? Like the idea that you could have ever eaten meat yeah, that's is, will be crazy. It's it might well now. happen, right? And and so are people 200 years from now going to be like, oh, we got to tear down uh, this Martin Luther King statue because he ate meat. We got to tear down this statue of John F. Kennedy because can you believe he liked the steak? You Obama know? wasn't for gay marriage the first time he ran in, for president. In it's fact, like, you're going to tear that library down? Why fact, are we building it right now? In 2008, Obama's entire platform would be the most moderate platform of any Democrat running for president right now. And people would say, is this guy electable? Um, So, uh, yeah. What does that tell you about internet culture? Because it it is exactly where we started here, which is you were on the show a year and a half ago. We were talking about this. You were right in the midst of your own little mob situation. And it's like, we've thrived since then. Many other people have. The institutions have continued to crumble. I mean, we've watched the way trust in mainstream media yes. has crumbled. Watch the way trust in, in sports media has yeah. crumbled while the little guy now doing their own thing is doing great. 
What, but what does that tell you about just the, the speed that we're getting the information at and, and where people are going to trust things? At all? We're, we're in a disruptive cycle. I don't think there's any doubt at all. And what I say all the time is the only thing I can do, and I love what you do about this as well, is try to be as honest as possible with my audience, right? And so the things that I often get attacked for by people who don't like me, and I'm sure you see this all the time too, you're like, I address that all the time, right? <laughs> all like, the time, yeah, I'm like, like come on people, yeah, uh, this. And, yeah. and so I think trying to be as authentic as possible is ultimately the connection. And I think large institutions do not seem authentic because they got their fingers up in the air and they're paying attention to the vagaries of day-to-day -day responses on social media. I also think listening to social media is insane, yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah. I mean, it's a tiny segment of the population that's often very, very active. Um, and so uh, we live in an age of abundant criticism, but I don't think we live in an age of abundant reflection and I think reflection is more important oftentimes than criticism. Is the problem though that social media is becoming our only way of reflecting? So we, yeah. because the institutions are crumbling and we don't have these, the nightly news show or whatever that we can all basically yeah. trust, that social media has become the mirror but now we're all cordoning off into our own mirrors. It, like, it would be a good example, like um, Nancy Pelosi said this thing recently about AOC and Alan Omar. It's like, yeah. She's like, yeah, they're big on Twitter, but they only have four votes. But then they all go after her on Twitter and destroy her, and then the media loves that. And it's yeah. like, the whole thing is so out of whack with reality. Yeah. Or, it, or it's the new reality, which is just out of whack with sanity. I think in general, there are a lot of people who aren't very confident. And this is what I always talk about from a perspective of, you know, let's say my world of, of sports media. If you are an executive and you have gotten to the point where you are uh, high up and making decisions at a sports network, let's say, I think the idea that you would make a choice on who you think is good based on your 30, 40, 50 years of expertise rising up to that level. And then because when it goes out publicly, a bunch of people on Twitter say, I don't yeah. like that guy or whatever, that you would allow that to be a reflection of the real world. I mean, there's a great stat that's out right now that I saw where it's something like 20% of people are on Twitter. Let's use as an example. And of that 20%, 80% of all tweets are sent by like 10% of the overall population, right. right? And we know that Twitter leans far left. We know that, and I know you've been in your own battles over this, the social media companies, as if those comp they don't lean far left enough already, they're also magnifying those voices, right, mm -hmm. that reflect the culture by which they wish were more popular. Um, and so you're allowing ultimately, you know, something like two or 3% of the population that isn't at all reflective of the universe to dictate decisions that you make. And I'll give you an example, and this is in the book. Uh, I remember talking with ESPN execs, and they said, uh, Twitter hates Lou Holtz and Chris Berman, right? Old school guys at NBA, uh, at, at uh, ESPN. Lou Holtz, former Notre Dame football yep. coach, college football guy. Chris Berman, maybe the most iconic voice in ESPN history, yeah, right? Yeah, put ESPN on the map. And they yeah. said, if you read the mentions reflecting what they say on social media, everybody hates them. But if we are out in public, those guys get swarmed with positivity such that we have to have security to protect them. Mm. And the question was, do we listen to social media or do we listen to the real world? And to me, you gotta listen to the real world, yeah, right? It, because it, social media is, is, is not reflective of real life. It's funny, because after this past year where I was on tour with Peterson and we yeah. had 100 plus stops around 15 countries, and I'd be looking at mentions all day, and you know, actually 95% of them are positive yeah. and good, but you know, it's always that 5%, right. and you know, if 5% if is several hundred, it can feel like a lot of bad yes. things. But then I'd meet people on the street and meet people all over the world at airports and 
you know, restaurants, and everyone's great. Yeah. Everyone's great. Uh, Actually, I was at Ikea this weekend, and a guy kind of gave me side eye, like, yeah. clearly didn't like me. But I was like, that's as bad as it gets. Right. But if you're on social media all day, you feel like, holy shit, the world's coming to an What end. I say is I've never had a person say a bad word to me face-to-face. Yeah. I mean, it's wild. And, in fact, the opposite of that, people will come up and, you know, ask for a picture. You know, people say, if I ever see you, I'm going to punch you, right? Yeah. Like, that's really common on, so, on social media. Yeah, well, they got to punch you. Yeah, Nazis, yeah. You know, that's uh, yeah, exactly. And then what happens is they show up and they want a picture. Or it's even happened a couple times. Like, I'll block people, right, on social media if they're sending me obsessive, you know, 20-in-a-row uh, tweets or something. Because I do try to go through and check every now and then. Yeah. I don't spend as much time in it as I used to. Uh, but when I do that, uh, I've had people come up to me and be like, man, you blocked me. Here's my Twitter handle. I'm a big fan. I'm sorry I was drunk that night and I just got carried away. Can you please I've unblock had it a couple me? Of times, yeah. I mean, and that's always I think interesting because um, you know people are just not accurate representations of themselves on social media. Yeah. And uh, and as someone who tries to be as authentic and honest as I possibly can on a day to day basis, uh, because I think you know one of my buddies said somehow by being the most reasonable person in sports, you've made a career. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that just kind of speaks to the polarity of the universe that we live in now, that just being a guy who's fairly middle of the road seems radical. I know the feeling, yeah, brother. I know, right? you and I have many of the same yeah. similar uh, beliefs yeah. and, and, and kind of Isn't career Isn't that funny path. though, that so, so the two of us that come from wildly different places, yeah. that we're in different spheres, that these worlds have kind of Collided. Yes. That that as we talked about last time, that sports has become ridiculously political. Yes. Which in many ways is why the institutions are crumbling. Uh, and the fact that a guy like you, who mostly cares about sports, you end up talking about a whole bunch of stuff that really is just a sidebar. But that is where the energy is. And, you know and I mean? saying something like, "Hey, the U.S. women are great," but I kind of wish Megan Rapinoe had shut up and just gone to the White House, right? right. Or uh, or you know, the U.S. women deserve whatever money they can get in a market-based economy, but the men but, produce a lot more revenue, and people are like, oh my God, how dare you say that? And I'm like, this is the most rational, you know, reasonable perspective. Or, you know, uh, the NBA shouldn't ban the word owners because it's not racially insensitive, like the yeah. owners of the do you, team. Do you own those shoes? <laughs> yeah. Well, and, yeah. And, and, and theoretically, I, although these might be owned by Fox, uh, <laughs> but uh, they, they dress me when I'm out here for television. Uh, but it, it's crazy, like, like, we're only going to define words by things. And they replaced it with governors, which doesn't even mean the same thing. And by the way, if you're worried about negative racial connotations, there have been a lot more racist governors, you know, in the last 30 or 40 years <laughs> right. than there have been uh, racist team owners. If you travel, there's a service and website that you need to know about called Mighty Travels Premium. Mighty Travels Premium discovers extremely cheap flight deals and very cheap five-star hotels all around the world. They analyze 450,000 airfares and a million hotel rates every day, and the result is you save $190 on average for any flight you buy and $80 for any hotel night. You see, there are these mistake fares. These are rates that airfares published by mistake, and Mighty Travels Premium finds them. They find mistake fares, including ones for business and first class flights. They find hotel mistake rates for under $30 for five star hotels. And what's great is the company's AI works tirelessly and in real time to send you deals from your preferred airports. Mighty Travels Premium is less than $5 a month when purchased annually, and you can try it free for 30 days using code RUBIN. Cancel anytime. Look, if you travel at all, this just makes so much sense. Sign up for Mighty Travels 
Premium today and get your risk-free 30-day trial. That's MightyTravels.com slash Ruben for your 30-day risk-free trial. MightyTravels.com slash Ruben. And now back to the show. So, all right, let's do that yeah. one first. I want, I want to get back to some of the gender stuff related to yeah. soccer and all that. Um, but on the, on the owner front, yeah. the people that push these ideas, so I remember it was a couple of weeks ago, we start hearing this. They're not, yeah, gonna, yeah. they're not gonna call the owners owners anymore. And you see, it, you see it start spreading across social media and people start saying this is a good thing and you know, there's a connotation to slavery and all right. of those things. And yet every part of you as a functioning person knows this is nonsense. They right. own a team, they yes. own a business. I own the production company yes. that produces this show. You do not own am, the people who are here working on you. Guys, like if I, they decide that they don't want to work for yeah. you anymore, they can leave and go work somewhere else. I'm renting them. Yes, That's yes. all, right? Like, like you know it. Logically, right. you know it. It's, yes. it's obvious. But what I think social justice has done is it's created a situation where even basic words now yes. have become triggers for some other thing. And it's like, do these guys actually think they've done anything good? That's, that's what I'm always trying to figure yes. out. The guys that believe this. Okay, we're calling them governors now. Do they walk home and they go, honey, you know, you're not going to believe this. I, uh, I did something. Pretty, I, I think it's all today. motivated by fear. So let's take a step back. Adam Silver is a white, white guy who yeah. runs the NBA, right? Ultimately, he's afraid if he doesn't listen to a few Looney Tune black players and make this decision that ultimately they could decide, oh, wait, Adam Silver's a white guy who runs the NBA. He's like a plantation master, right? Like that's the analogy that they could continue to build out. Why is he making tens of millions of dollars a year when he's primarily making money off the labor of black men in the NBA, right? And so I think what happens is Anybody who is managing that worldwide league must be super easy, right? Yeah, like yeah, anybody yeah. can do yeah, that. Yeah, right, do that. yes. You know, yeah. But I think what happens is it's an element of self-preservation. So I don't think Adam Silver, I think if you gave him truth serum and he was sitting here with you right now, he'd say, that's an utterly ludicrous idea. But I think the problem is people in positions of power are so afraid that they're going to end up the target that they go as far left as they possibly can because that way they can be like, my hand, what are you talking about? I'm super woke. Like we replace the word owners with governors. I'm sensitive to your feelings. And that's a big problem is there's a difference between hearing somebody's argument and at least contemplating it and being sensitive to an argument, right? There are lots of dumb arguments. Calling an argument dumb is not insensitive. It actually honors the argument to be discussing it. Uh, but I think that, uh, that, that they're, like I did a poll. I think that 95% of sports fans do not think remotely that the word owner is racist. But people like Adam Silver in positions of power are afraid that the platform that a guy like Draymond Green has, Mm -hmm. who wants to say, by the way, Draymond Green said he was an owner in his Twitter bio. Oh, right, right, right. right. Remember, like, right. It's, it's like these guys are not even able to avoid hypocritical behavior for a short segment of time, right? Like, Draymond Green says the word owner is offensive, and yet in his own bio, he's an owner. And look, Ownership is an aspirable goal in the United States in capitalism, right? You want to own your home. You want to own a business. You want to own your education. Like, owning something is a powerful thing for an individual. So, and then you replace it, like you said, with a word that doesn't even mean the same thing. And arguably, so first of all, they are now governors of teams, right? That doesn't make any sense because a governor is primarily an elected official. These guys bought the team. And the failure for somebody like Adam Silver to be like, hey, I heard that argument, but here's the truth. They own the franchise, not the individuals. If people don't want to play in our league, they can go elsewhere and make a living somewhere uh, doing something else. 
That's a pretty good argument, and right. I don't. Uh, he's a reasonable guy, and he's afraid to say the reasonable thing because then he ends up a target. Is the irony though that the destructive force that you're talking about actually transcends race? Because so I got you that Adam Silver, he's yeah. Going, I'm a white guy, so I better yes. you know offer some penance here. But the simple truth is that most likely one day, even though he's doing a pretty damn good job in terms of yeah. economics, he'll be replaced, and he'll be replaced most likely. I would guess, if I had to guess, it's probably going to be by a black woman. But, yeah, I, well, okay, I, so I actually, if you were just putting odds out, I think there's a good chance of so, that. But let's just say it's, it's a yeah. black man or a black woman. Well, yeah. the second that that black man or woman does anything that those guys don't like, they'll say that they're an Uncle Tom and a sellout and the rest <laughs> of it. So it's like you actually have no protection in the world of social justice no matter, you know what I mean? The second yes. they want to use your minority status against you. I mean, everyone watching this knows that. Yeah. It's like, now, those guys will even be treated worse. They'll be looking at Adam Silver going, oh, those were the good old days. And, and that's why you need to have somebody who's willing to stand up and just respond. And I think the fear is in getting engaged in that fight but ultimately, we need to be having more battles. Yeah. Ironically enough, we need to have more reasonable people who are willing to step into the fray because I do think there is a huge, I don't think, I'm, I'm almost a 1 billion percent certain, There's a because they, they respond to my show and I'm one of the only people who's making these arguments, there's a huge silent majority out there that thinks that these arguments are ludicrous and uh, I think it you know, kind of translates into the Democratic presidential debates. I think everybody is so afraid of being attacked. My thing is, being attacked's a good thing. Right, like people, it means it means that you are having an influence, and that they're afraid of the influence that you're having. Uh, So you know, I I don't run away from attack. I kind of enjoy, you know, like what what was the old argument? You know, like a a pig in the mud likes enjoys being there. I kind of like being down in the muck, rolling Mm -hmm. around, getting in a fight, good fight every now and then. Um, It's weird though when it happens to you, and and you're just trying to do something decent. Yeah, yeah. that's the thing for me that I had to adjust because I actually don't mind the hate now because I agree. It's like, well, they're all talking about me. People are waking up in the morning going, "What did Ruben do this time?" And it's like, really, you're doing that? But but there's a there's still a part of me that's like. Well, I'm trying to be so freaking decent. I try yeah, not to attack I understand people. That. Yeah. I try to I talk about yes. ideas, all that stuff. And it's like, that still is what they're going for, which really tells, it says more about them than it says about you. Totally. And I think the other thing I would say for everybody out there is these stories last 24 hours. So initially, you know, early on in Twitter, I understand that feeling where suddenly 100 people decide you're the most awful human being on the planet because of something you said that really is pretty innocuous, yeah, right? They didn't know who you were an hour before. Yeah, and right? now you're like an awful human being. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, used to, I'd look at it and I'd be bothered by it. Now, you know, like I just say, okay, like I've got three kids at home. Like, let's go down to the park. You know, like, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, in 24 hours, there's going to be something new that they decide to get offended by. And it's not going to change the way that I talk about my opinions. And ultimately, I also don't think it's going to have an impact on my career. Now, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe at some point I am going to totally get canceled. But uh, in this cancel culture that we live in, because somebody decides I said something that they don't like. But I think I'm working on some yeah, yeah, on yeah, 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 yeah. I, I think that we've entered the world where the once you get and that that's where I think you and I both are now. My audience is not suddenly going to say I hate Clay Travis and completely abandon me, yeah. right? And so I think the, the the fear out there is that there's not people who are going to have your back. I feel like we've reached the point where we have a lot of people who have our back, and it's just basically a perpetual war. 
Yeah, God, there, there's so much there. We could yeah. we, we could do five hours. Just, yeah, yeah, just, just unpacking that. all and that. And it's important because I do I sense it, especially at colleges with these yeah. young kids that are just afraid to get in the fight a yeah. little bit more. Oh, it's I like see that all the time. It's like you're ceding a lot of ground to yes. people that will gladly silence you. You know. Yeah, well, and and that's to me the scariest thing about our culture today is. And I wrote about this the other day, and I certainly wrote it in my book. There's a difference between I disagree with you, and here's why. And I disagree with you, and you shouldn't be allowed to make the argument that you're making, right? The cancel culture to me is really scary in our country because there are a lot of people out there who want to cease the debate in general and just cancel you out of the debate. And that's fundamentally anti-democratic. It's anti-First Amendment. It's anti-American values. And the few, the, the fact that there's not more people standing up to fight against that and in favor of that, like, again... I think back to Howard Stern, for instance, who's now evidently gone woke too, right? Oh, in many no. of the is, ways that he is behaves. Is that right? I've heard yeah. a little bit, but it's yeah, really he's, going he's started to go a little bit woke. Oh. But I think um, I think it's because he fears all the things that he's done in the past. That if he continues in this era, they'll go back and they'll track through all of his different tapes and everything that he said over the years. Um, but I think that uh, you know. What they found was in his early days, people wanted to silence him, right? Mm -hmm. And what's wild about that is it's a big circle because it used to be conservative people who were like in that position. And now I think conservatives have realized, wait a minute, we need to have a robust battlefield of ideas. And uh, and the fact that, you know, that in my life, liberals could be the people on a campus saying, I'm upset because of an idea or I'm upset like they are in San Francisco right now because of this old mural of George Washington that's on the wall in that school. Or I'm upset because of this statue that's out there. Or I'm upset because of a word that somebody used or a phrase or a sentence or a paragraph that somebody wrote. It's like, how sensitive have we become as a society it honestly is, I think, the most scary thing that's going on in the country today. Yeah, you know, there's that great move, uh, moment in Private Parts in the Howard Stern yeah. movie where the the um, executive comes out and he says, you know, the people that love you watch, you yes. know, listen to you for yes. seven minutes a day. He's like, the people that hate you listen to you for an hour and a half a yeah. day. And it's like, yeah, they listen. They hated and, him, but they listen. And now that culture is on social media dominating the hate culture. And I remember talking with a politician a while back uh, when I was working in politics, and, and we were talking about yes-no votes. Uh, and, uh, you know, a lot of times, you, no matter who you are, what political persuasion you have, you'll stand in front of that yes-no question, mm-hmm. and you'll be like, it's a really complex, you know, you're like, I don't even know what this means, right? I'm a lawyer, <laughs> right. and I'm standing there like, I, I don't know whether I should be yes-no. And they're like, like 30% of people vote no no matter what, right? Uh, Like it doesn't matter what the question could be because you always look at those yes, no ballots and it's never, something never wins like 95 to Mm 5, right? It's always 70% roughly yes, 70 to 30 is a wipeout, right? In a voting uh, booth. And there is a certain segment of the population that is titillated by being offended by things, right? Like that's their thing. The problem is we have allowed those people to be voices that we give way too much legitimacy to because one it's a minority of voices and two it's not actually reflective of life there's that pew study recently that came out that said people hate political correctness right whether you're white black brown asian whatever you are you hate it and uh and yet we've allowed that culture to predominate yeah we're we're seeding it basically eight percent a hysterical eight percent yeah so then it leads to the question, which is what everyone asks me, and I don't know what the answer is, and, and I've thought about it a lot, and I can only come up with some things that I wouldn't even want to say, <laughs> but how horrible does this thing have to get before it implodes? Like, what, what, what do you think would actually cause it 
to lose its energy? So I think that First of all, there are a lot of people, I think, who have been funny and smart about ridiculing. You know, for instance, the Chicago Cubs, we had the OK sign, right? And the Cubs are like, oh, my God, this fan is banned from life. Theo Epstein is like, I was literally shivering when I was seeing it. And I don't know about you, but the vast majority of people, like when I was growing up, if you looked down when somebody did that, you got punched in the arm, right? I think that is a vast majority of the perspective. Here, for but, meme purposes. Yeah, yeah, just right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> the argument that is out there that common things which are used by white supremacist groups somehow render them unusable is a so utterly absurd argument, right? Because I'm like, well, you know, white supremacists drive cars, right? White supremacists fly on airplanes. White supremacists shake hands, right? Like the idea that you're going to identify a symbol with a particular group and try to ban it, to me, proves the hysteria that we're currently living in. Like we saw with Nike saying, oh, Colin Kaepernick's offended by the Betsy freaking Ross flag, right? Uh, And so uh, we're not going to allow that shoe to be released. And so I think reasonable people look at this and start to recognize the hysteria. So I, I had a, you know, somebody sent me this, but I think it's a funny question. What if white supremacists just went all in on Nike gear? Like flip the script, right? <laughs> and they're like, we're yeah, yeah, only, yeah. like every event that we do, we're only going to wear Nike. Does Nike cancel itself? Does it change the name of Nike? Right, imagine how funny that yeah, would be if like the next, the next KKK rally, you know, like, if everybody at the when KKK those three rally, guys show yeah, up, yes, right, right. and everybody's like a million people stand around to yell, yell yeah. at them. But what if the KKK like had a sense of humor and irony, which they probably don't, right? Because right. they're ideologues who are absolutist, which are always the people who are craziest, right? But what if they showed up in all Nike gear and they're like, Nike is now a white supremacist uh, endorsed company. We only wear Nike head to toe, right? Would Nike be like, we're going to ban? Like, the, 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 the way that you follow the logic down its absurd path, and you, I, I think that there are... It's almost like you got to smuggle a little logic yes. into their ridiculous right. system. And, 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 yeah. and that's, like, uh, that's like my argument. Uh, Martin Luther King was opposed, like said that, uh, like in, in, he gave an interview uh, where uh, I think it was in uh, Ebony Magazine back in the day, and he was asked a question about uh, gay rights. Uh, basically, like, how do you, I'm, I'm afraid my, my, I'm gay, like, what should I do? He's like, well, it's probably a medical condition. You should go talk to a doctor. And, like, if, an, if a political candidate gave that answer today, they would be canceled, right? Yep. Like, particularly if they're a Democrat, God forbid. So uh, I, I was like, if you immediately respond, I went to Martin Luther King High School. Like, do we have to take Martin Luther King's name off my high school? Do we have to tear down the Martin Luther King Memorial? I think when you start to, people are like, well, no. I mean, like, that was in the 1950s. I'm like, yeah, well, George Washington was around in the 1790s, right? Yeah. Like, uh, Thomas Jefferson was around in the, in, the, in, the, uh, in the 18th century. Like, what do you want to do there, like, uh, in terms of analyzing it? So I think you need to flip it on people. Um, and make them realize, oh, wait, the people that we believe are icons of our universe are actually flawed human beings as well, and maybe we shouldn't judge every single act they did predicated on whatever the rules are now. But, yeah, that one I love. Like, if, if white supremacists are just like, we're head-to-toe Nike now, instead of burning it, yeah, right? Just, if you're like, and, and then what does Nike do? Yeah. Nike's like, oh, my, what, do we change the name of the company? Right. Do we, like, uh, like how, do we, how do we retake our brand? Like, this idea that because somebody you disagree with likes something, you have to not be touched by it. 
like when I saw with the Mayor Pete, like he was going to yeah. come on your program and I'd have a legitimate conversation. Treat you the same way I treat everybody, Pete. And, 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 and then people are like, oh my God, if you sit down and talk to that guy, you are somehow like, the, you're, you're canceled to us. Like, yeah. it's crazy, right? I mean, like I would put uh, the most right-wing person, like if whoever the Democrats nominate for president, I'd love to have him on my Fox Sports radio show. Mm-hmm. Whoever the Republicans, a Donald Trump, I'd love to have him on. When did we enter this culture where somehow if you talk to someone, it means that you agree with everything that they represent? Like yeah. I said, you know, well, the it's only, also this crazy way we frame things yeah. now. So Andy No, who got attacked by Andy Whoa, it's crazy. in Portland, who I know him, and he was on the show last week, and he's a good, decent guy. He's a yeah. five foot five, soft spoken, little gay Vietnamese guy, and I only mention those qualifiers right. to use their you know ridiculous identity politics yeah. against themselves. But it's like he's a decent guy, and the way that everyone was framing it was either that. The journalists, the yes. check journalists, were all saying he's either not a journalist, they take right. he's not a journalist, or he's a fascist, as if either one of those would uh, excuse violence. No, I, w- I would just you know? say compare the response to uh, the woman who got killed in Charlottesville. Yeah. Right uh, by the by the you know crazy deranged dude who I think has got life in prison, deservedly yeah. so. Right, and people were like, "Oh my God, this is what happens in Trump's America. Totally innocent people get attacked for their political beliefs." And there was a mass uproar. You know, it still is impacting things. I think I saw in Charlottesville where they are no longer celebrating Thomas Jefferson's birthday as part of the fallout uh, from that. They now have, um, you know, another day that they've replaced it with or whatever else. Again, because people are afraid, I think, to have a legitimate argument, ironically enough, in a place like Charlottesville, which is founded on the idea of intellectual freedom. Um, And the, the response to that attack on uh, by by a group that is, I mean, it's it's wild to yeah, me, or right? Yeah, like, or the Covington kids. Oh, yeah. I mean, the way that they just you go narrative first and then you figure it out after. It's yes. Like, where where are all the tweets, guys? Where are all the tweets about what a racist, homophobic nation this and, is? Oh, this one doesn't work for you. Does and, it? and and I think part of the problem is, in a large sense, you can find evidence for whatever you want in the world or in the country on a day to day basis. And what we've lost the ability to do, and I wrote about this a lot in my book, is comprehend probability, right? Like. Are there still racists in this country? Certainly. Are there still homophobes in this country? Certainly. But they represent, particularly for acts of violence, a tiny, tiny percentage of the overall population. Yet, in the same way, let's say there are 40,000 people a year who die in car accidents. If the media decided to cover car accident deaths in the same way that they cover police shootings or in the same way that they cover you know, a, a, a mass shooting or whatever else, People would be terrified to get in their car. Right. They'd be like, oh my God, we got another, you know, what's 40,000 divided by 365? Yeah. I mean, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of people dying on a week to week basis, a day to day basis, and yet we kind of get used to that, right? But, but also, what is it that they ultimately want to happen to yeah, them? Yeah, I don't well, know. That, that's what I was thinking about. Because it's like, if I found out that the guy who lives across the street from me was a homophobe, yeah, right. meaning he had an irrational yeah. fear of gay people, right. well, as long as he didn't come to my lawn and stand across my house and lob, you know, yeah. Molotov cocktail, yeah, yeah. whatever, it's like you want to be have an irrational yes. fear of gay people yes. in your own home. Yes. You're allowed to do it. Like, would it be would it be worthy of my time or sensible for a for a greater society for me to, you know, pick his house, him. Yes. confront him, try to get him fired reserve? You think at the end so now I accomplish all those things? Now he yeah. has to move. He lost his job. He's destitute. His wife divorced him. You think he's going to be like? I kind of like gay guys. Gay people, you no, know, I mean, like, I, th- I think that speaks to a larger context. A, a, a handshake's always more powerful than a fist, right? Ultimately, because, and I think you've reached the point way long ago beyond the point of, 
you know, diminishing returns, right? Where uh, if you, look, it, I wish that nobody was racist. I wish that nobody was homophobic in this country. But I think in trying to drive it down to zero, first of all, you end up in this strange world where you have to define what is gay uh, homophobia and what is racism. And oftentimes you're coming around nowadays to owner, you know, yeah. the word owner, <laughs> right? right? Like there is a, yeah. there is a more yeah. demand for racism in this country than there is supply, mm-hmm. which is why the Wall Street Journal had a big editorial recently. You mentioned Jossie Smollett. Um, there is a huge desire to use this as an example of the larger societal issue. And I think that's a failure of journalism, right? If you think about it, journalism starts with story, right? And the story will oftentimes be used to illuminate a larger issue. I'll give you an example. A lot of people are dying from opioids. In order to draw somebody into the opioid crisis, it makes sense, I think, to go talk about the impact on a family in Ohio as a larger representative for the tens of thousands of people who might be dying or afflicted by opioid addiction. But that's a massive issue in the country today, which has tangible results, dead people, that otherwise wouldn't exist because of the opioid crisis. If you take something that is not necessarily a major issue today, uh, let's say that Jossie Smollett did happen, it was still a minuscule you know, number of people that was going to be involved in this attack, and it's not necessarily representative of the larger society, yet that's the argument that they try to make. Oh, this is a stand-in for something larger. Well, no, it's not. It doesn't happen very often at all. It's aberrant, much like, and this is the argument I make in my book, a shark attack. Right? Every shark attack gets news right. because ultimately we're all terrified. It's summer, Jaws season is going on. I'm sure when you go in the ocean at some point, when I do too, oh, most influential movie ever made is Jaws because I think I might get killed by a shark. I St- had that problem in pools for the first right. 20 years. Yeah, 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 that's right. You know? you know, Statistically, it's totally improbable, yet every shark attack gets covered, so we think that it happens more frequently than it does. I feel like we've lost, you were talking earlier about like the nightly news, the Walter Cronkites of the world. There aren't people saying, you know, this is, this is a reasonable reaction. LeBron, for instance, said, every day my son leaves the house, I worry that he might not come back home. Mm-hmm. And everybody was like, oh, it's so brave of LeBron James to say that. More young black kids are getting killed by bees, wasps, and hornets leaving the house every day than by police. If LeBron had come out and said, I worry every day that when my kid leaves the front door of his house, he's going to get killed by a bee, a wasp, or a hornet, people have been like, man, LeBron needs to chill out, <laughs> right, right? Right, right? Like, But it's more likely. Or hit by a train, right? Like, it's more likely. And you so, think some of this is just the way we're wired? Like, certain people's brains are wired for that type of hysteria? You may have seen this video when I was at University of New Hampshire and all these kids are yeah. screaming at me and yelling, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. And then this woman, this middle-aged woman, gets up and she's screaming at me and she goes, these kids could be killed when they walk out of here. <laughs> and, and I don't even remember what I said to her, but what I was thinking was, what are you, what planet are you yeah. on? These are kids at the University of New Hampshire right. in the middle of nowhere. There's yeah. no violence here. No one's getting killed. And yet you're an adult yes. telling these kids that they should be fearful. They're, if anyone should have been fearful for their life at that moment, it, it was It should me. have been you, yeah. yes. But, but that sort of thing, it just goes to a certain part of the brain that then just gets fed well, and fed and fed. I think politicians have become astute at motivating base audiences by fear, right? And I, I think certainly the left wing has become more, uh, more likely to do this, but I think historically the right wing has done it as well, right? And the problem is you need somebody. And this is where I think Obama failed as a, as a politician. He is a very logical guy, whether you agree or disagree with him. I think he looks at data and he makes arguments. He should have, as some of this hysteria started, actually, I think he could have made it a tremendous impact if he had come out and said, look, are there bad police? Yes. Look, 
I wish that there were no bad police in this country. Some of them can't be trusted. But let's just walk through the statistics. You know, the number one help to entire inner city America is police officers, right? Look, here's the data on murders as they pertain to over the last 30 or 40 years, right? This is a trend line that's regularly going down. Here's the number of police that we employ. This is a trend line that's going up. Employing more police makes people safer. It doesn't mean they're going to be flawless. Mm -hmm. They have guns on their hips. Sometimes they make bad decisions. When they do, they should be prosecuted in a court of law like anybody else who makes those decisions. And I wonder on some level whether Obama feels bad about the hysteria because I think the problem we had in 2016 was Hillary, if you go look at the numbers of voters, right? Hillary didn't get the same black voters that Obama did. And I think ultimately she ran an identity politics laden campaign because she thought if I make it seem like it's awful for black people in this country today and what Donald Trump will do to them is going to be awful, then they will turn up and vote for me, which will allow me to win the election. And I think in 2020, we're going to see a reprisal of that. Now, the people in the Midwest were smart enough who flipped from Obama and Trump to see through that on some level. But this is an election that's going to be decided in Pennsylvania, Michigan, in Ohio, and Wisconsin. I think those four states. And so whoever the Democrats nominate, I think they're going to look at the black turnout and say, man, if we got in the same black turnout that Obama got, we would have won this election. How do we get it? No matter who the nominee is in 2020, we're going to try to sell fear to that audience. You think the simple uh, proof on that is that we once had dinner with Candace Owens, yes. with far-right racist Candace yeah, yeah, Owens, yeah. or whatever the hell they call her now. Uh, but remember a couple months ago when the reparations talk yeah. started bubbling up, and then Elizabeth Warren said, you know, a commission, and then the rest of them started saying, we're going to get into reparations. Yeah. I texted Candace, and I said, I think you've done it. I think you caused such a crack. Yeah, in the foundation. In, in the foundation yeah. of that black people have to be Democrats. Yes. That they literally now are saying, what do we got left? Here's cold, hard cash. Yeah. That's all we got left. And the fact that they're making that an issue shows that one person, I mean, it's a through line to what we're talking about here, that one person that stakes out some brave position yes. that they really believe in actually can cause immeasurable change. Because I really do believe it is directly related to what she has done. Yeah, look. And I, you, can, you can criticize her and people get angry right. that I defend her and blah, blah, blah. No, and look. she's not perfect and I'm not perfect and all that stuff. But I truly believe it is because of what she caused. Yeah, look, I think the foundation of identity politics collapsing is maybe the most important thing that could happen in our country, right? Uh, because I think the idea that you should be able to look at somebody and guess who they're going to vote for is the foundation of our politics today, right? Um, and, uh, and certainly fear if it's used to motivate a voter, I think is often bad. Now look, you can criticize the other side too, right? Nobody's perfect. I think that Republicans in general have overemphasized the danger of terrorism, right? Mm -hmm. To make people think that they're in more danger than they are. The reality is, and maybe I'm gonna get shot as soon as I walk out, and that would certainly be an irony. Could be my homophobic neighbor. Yeah, it could be your homophobic neighbor uh, who thinks I'm gay. Uh, But uh, the reality is we have never been safer, right? And I think about this a lot as a parent because Um, You know, in my city where I live, Nashville, Tennessee, uh, I try to consciously let my kids take risks, like let them get on their bike, let them ride down the street. We are so suffused, I think, with fear as parents. I think that kind of translates through to our kids who live in this incredibly anxious world where they feel like they're in danger. And I'm like, you know, in the early 80s, we were in much more danger than our kids are today. The fact that my parents let me climb trees in front of the house, I'd be 100 feet in the air. My mom would come in for lunch. I'm like, I I don't know how I'm going to get down, but I always got down. I I think about it now. You know, like I rode the school bus uh, in fourth and fifth grade, got home, 
got off the school bus, walked all the way you know, down the street up to my house, a totally empty house, unlocked the door, went inside, <laughs> stayed there for a couple of hours by myself, right? I mean, yeah. and I was 10, right? I mean, and my I've got an 11-year-old now, and if we go to the swimming pool in our neighborhood across the street, yeah. my wife's like, oh my God, do you think we can leave him here for a little while? I'm like, he's, he's going to be in sixth grade, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, um, but I think it's just, you know, we have sort of built this cocoon of protectiveness, protectiveness and that can be good, but not when it's motivated by fear. Total uh, and side, I think that's where we are. Total sidebar to this. Yeah. Uh, Nashville. So I, I performed, you might have seen yeah, the picture the in the, in the yeah. uh, green room bathroom over there is me at the Ryman, which is yes. incredible. Grand Ole Opry. It was one of the most memorable nights. But what is going on in Nashville that everybody is so freaking happy? I have never seen a happier, nicer, I don't it's know, maybe, awesome there, maybe there's something going on underneath First of all, that I don't know. look at the camera, whichever camera, yeah. don't move. Yeah. Don't move yeah, here. No. We, got, we got enough of you. You know, we're, I'm born and raised in Nashville. I think the culture of the place I've is, never seen a group, but every single person that I walk by on the street offered to bring me to their house for dinner, yeah. take me out to eat, can I buy you a drink? Yeah. What can I do for you? You want Literally, people were, you want, can I buy you a new jacket? Yeah, people, yeah. It was unbelievable. It, it's a super nice community um, that I think... Uh, I don't know what exactly it is. I think, one, you get the Southern element. Yeah. Um, two, I think the economy has been booming, so people do feel really good about you know their overall status in life. Um, three, I think the entertainment culture. We kind of have a lot of the L.A. vibe of creativity and yeah. just freedom and individual uh, you know sort of uh, uh, choices that, that, that I think is so important in life, and, uh, but without a lot of the negativity associated with it. And I don't know whether it's because musicians don't have to be beautiful like a lot of actors and actresses do, uh, but it's, uh, you know, uh, I, I really love it. I mean, we, we don't want to move. I mean, I'm born and raised. Uh, I think it was a great culture for me to grow up in, and I think it's an even better one for my kids. It's funny to me that you made a point of looking at the camera I just uh, like, not to move. Because well, everybody else is out there saying, like, it's an awesome place to move. I'm yeah. like, no, we're full, right? Like, you know how uh, <laughs> I feel like as a parent, kind of, my kids are at perfect ages. They're 11, 8, and 4. And I would be, you know, they're potty trained. They would still like to spend time with us. Like, we uh, we can enjoy them as a family. I'd be fine hitting pause right now mm-hmm. in my life and having them hang out here for a little while. Um, because I know, you know, my, my father-in-law was telling me this. He's like, you're in a good spot right now. The kids still have lots of problems. But they're almost all little problems. Mm-hmm. As your kids get older, they have fewer problems. But they become a lot bigger. Right. And, and that makes sense. Right. As you think about it from a parent perspective. Uh, but the city of Nashville, like you used to be able to get everywhere in 10 or 15 minutes. Now the traffic, there's so many people have moved in yeah. and that can bring a lot of good things. And it's been a good audience growth, a lot of college educated, lots of bars, restaurants, awesome entertainment scene. Uh, but we're full. Yeah. Uh, you need to move to another city. <laughs> it's funny because every town that I visited last yeah. year, whenever I saw something really great happening in that town, like Salt Lake City, I was like, These yeah, people are phenomenal. Yeah, it's clean. It's nice. And I did stand up there and I said something about how great it is there. And literally people were coming up to me after going, please don't tell, don't anybody. tell the yeah. Californians. Yeah. Don't, you guys are leaving it's, and ruining everything. It's funny, when, I started, they were big on that when I started my career, because I did local sports talk radio in Nashville, uh, as my profile kind of grew, I would talk a lot about how awesome Nashville was. And this is, you know, over the last 15 years. And about two or three years ago, I just stopped talking about how awesome the city is, right? Because I'm like, I think I've had too much of an influence on some way, like, you know, and <laughs> the people are just scrolling through and they're thinking about where to move. I think it also helps, by the way, we got no state income tax. Yeah. So if you're out in California, 13% state income tax, let's say you make a million dollars a year and you're an entertainer, that's $130,000 a year, boom, that you have in your pocket in Nashville that you didn't necessarily have if you lived in California or New York. What the hell are they doing here? 
it's a, it's I sometimes wonder why we don't have more of our Fox Sports studios out there because I'm you know doing the show to finish the season here um, and uh, and you know it's it's great to be able to do it out of Nashville. Yeah. All right. Let's back up. Yes. To 20 minutes ago, I want to talk about some of the gender stuff yeah, yeah. related sports because you mentioned uh, the women's soccer team. Now it's great that they won. Okay, fantastic. Everybody's happy. But yes, there are economic elements to this that less people happen to watch those yes. things. It's just reality. It just is. Nobody's saying they're not worthy. Nobody's saying it shouldn't be on TV. Nobody's saying they shouldn't be able to play. Uh, but this constant then need where it became about their victimhood yes. as they were winning. Yes. As you're winning, but the whole idea is a we're you know we're not going to respect the flag and whatever they can just, they can do whatever they want. But then also just we don't get the TV time and it's like all these things like this is such a such a misguided well, space. Let's for take it. Let's take a step back. I yeah. said on my show, and again, this is something that's reasonable that some people consider to be controversial. So you'll enjoy this. I said if you look at the women's World Cup, you can almost pick every winner solely by determining which country has better women's rights. Hmm. It's a fascinating way. Just look at the bracket. You look at every Women's World Cup game that was played. Almost every game, without fail, the winner was the country that provides more rights to women. So it's fascinating to think about. We are, as a country, so wealthy and so successful that we not only embrace men's sports, which many countries do, we also have so many parents out there who will spend thousands of dollars a year for their women to be able to, their little girls to be able to play soccer and grow up potentially to be U.S. women's uh, soccer team member. Look at our the, the girls that were on the team, the women that won the title this year. They used to be little girls who grew up in pretty advantaged backgrounds, right? Because by and large, soccer in America, unlike soccer in the rest of the world, mm-hmm. is a sport that elites play, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it's suburban sport, especially for women. And so the argument that I made is, if anything, Megan Rapino, instead of saying, I'm not going to the effing White House, and she said fucking, I should, yeah. I'm not going to the fucking White House, which I think sounds different. She should have, in my opinion, said, you know, I have this opportunity as a captain of the women's team to make that argument that I just made. If we can be a shining light to the rest of the world, this is what happens when you give little girls the freedom to pursue things that interest them. They grow up into women who can dominate. And so there's a lot of talk about the women versus the men, right? But the reason why our men struggle in soccer is because the rest of the world identifies great male athletes and they develop them. In Iran, last year was the first time they let women watch soccer in their country. Mm -hmm. They require women to play in pants. They require women to wear the hijab where you can just see their eyes on the football, on the soccer field. Um, Think about that. Is it a surprise that U.S. women would dominate a country that doesn't let women wear shorts or attend soccer matches? Is it a surprise that we would dominate Saudi Arabia where they just started letting women drive cars? You know, so our women's success to me is actually a reflection of the ideals that they should be trying to shed and shine a bright light on for the rest of the world. Having said that, the rest of the world doesn't care about women's soccer like the United States does. So pure economics, when you look at this, and again, this is pure rational economics, the Men's World Cup produced most recently, the most recent numbers I saw, $4 billion of revenue, right? B, B. The Women's World Cup, in I think it was the most recent, like 2015, produced 73 million in revenue associated with it. Now, that's continuing to grow, but the men, in America actually made a smaller percentage of the FIFA revenue. I think it was 9% than the women did. Mm. They got 13%. So 
take a step back from everybody, I think, in general is in favor of equality, right? I mean, there are very few people who are like, oh, I think because of your sex, you should have less rights than someone else. Again, tiny, tiny percentage. So to me, when you look at this, it's just a function of economics. I wish I made the money that Howard Stern makes, right? We do the same thing. We talk on the radio every morning. Why do I make less money than he does? Because my audience is smaller. And the reason why the U.S. women and the revenue that my audience produces is lower, right? It's basic economics. So I understand the argument of, oh, the U.S. women deserve more. Certainly, I hope they get as much as they possibly can. I'm a capitalist. I want every individual to make as much money as they can. But the money's not there, right? And so the reason why the money's not there is because the world, not the United States, the world doesn't value women's soccer as much as they do men's soccer. You think Trump, every time Rapinoe or one of these athletes says they're not going to go to the White House or fuck the White House or whatever, you think he's just like, hallelujah, hallelujah, this is just going to make me more popular? Because to me, it's the ultimate virtue signal. Like, Why not, instead of saying that, why not... You honored your country, you, you won yeah. for your country. Why not show up at the White House and then do what an adult might do, which when he walks by and shakes all your hands, say, Mr. President, I'd love to have five minutes with you or to discuss some of the things. Or ask for a meeting, which about. he's yeah. shown that he's willing to yeah. do. Yeah. Like, this is what's so crazy to this about me. And, and I, I, I don't know about you, but this is what really bothers me in general about the discussion about the White House visit. I would go to the White House if I were invited by Bill Clinton, Barack Obama, George W. Bush, George Bush. Donald Trump. The idea that that is somehow an endorsement of whoever is president is crazy to me. To me, it's just a respect for the office itself and the location. And that's why when Megan Rapinoe said the fucking White House, it's like the White House is a symbol that represents everything that's good and great about America, including the rights that allowed you to become such a dominant women's soccer player to begin with. And by the way, and you know this better than me, I believe on election to enter the White House for the first term, Trump is the most gay, LGBT-friendly president he ever. Literally, well, first off, he was basically pro-gay marriage. Yes. Just remember, Barack Obama, again, was first not time around, in 2008. Was he was on stage with a freaking gay pride flag a yes. week before the election. Peter Thiel at the, at the, Spoke uh, at the, at RNC, the RNC, at the, yeah. I'm a proud gay man, gets a standing ovation, yeah. nobody even knew what to do. So yeah, it's all, it's all just bananas. And, and, and so that is what is so problematic and disappointing to me in many respects is, what does she actually disagree with? And that's the question where I think the sports media often does not go the next level. They, ch- they cover the surface level virtue signaling, mm-hmm. right? Okay, the next question for Megan Rapinoe is, okay, what do you specifically disagree with Donald Trump that he has done? Not just like a mean tweet that he sent or something like, like a, a tangible a decision. And why would you not take the opportunity to sit with the most powerful man in the world and talk to him about it? Because if anything... Trump has proven to actually listen to some of these arguments, yeah. right? Like, is, is the catch-22, though, for not for you, because yeah. you can do what you want and you can control the content you're creating, but for ESPN, I get it. They can do it at sort of the base yeah. level. But then the more they were to do of that, it's the more that a guy like me, who I'm not a, I don't really care about soccer. Yeah. That it's, I was telling you right before we started, I think, that I just now flick through. Like, I see yeah. ESPN, and it's so, I used to, in the old, even five years ago, I would always stop on yeah. ESPN, what's going on. And now it's just like... Like, I know that whatever is on right now, I could not care less about. I think what would happen is the athletes would get exposed, by and large, because you would find out. But that's oh, not the business ESPN wants right. to be in, right? But that, what you would find out is there's no depth to their actual political opinions because they're doing other things full time, right? Like, I think if LeBron James, who is obviously super woke right now, because I think he gets positive feedback on social media and everything else, if you set him down and said, okay, LeBron, like, you called the president a bum, 
explain why specifically you think the president is a bum and what you would change differently if you were in the White House you would realize, wait a minute, like he would just him and haw and he wouldn't have any answers. Like you or I or uh, any number of people, and maybe that athlete does have some depth to them. Uh, and that's why I've always offered, you know, like I offered Colin Kaepernick. I offered LeBron James. I offer Megan Rapino. Like come on my show and actually make your arguments that you believe you have this platform to make. We never see that happen, right? Mm. We hear people say, oh, I've got to use my platform. Well, how are you using your platform? to advocate for like an actual change or some sort of detail. I never see that actually happen. It's interesting, your point about how Trump would be happy to take these meetings, because you're right, he does take these meetings. All the time, especially with famous people when it's good television ops, right? Like Trump sitting with Megan Rapinoe on the other side of the desk in the Oval Office, he'd let all the meetings, like he did with Kanye and uh, Kim Kardashian, right? Like Trump is uh, very cognizant of the amount of attention that he can get. And the more famous a person he meets with, the more attention he's gonna get, particularly in the world of sports, whether it's Jim Brown, whether it's uh, he just announced that the logo, Jerry West, he's bringing in, Tiger Woods. Trump's a sports fan, right? And I think he enjoys Tom Brady, obviously, all of the talk about the Brady and Belichick relationship and everything else. Um, And so I think he enjoys being able to interact with them as president. And uh, yeah, I think he would always have that meeting if you wanted to have that meeting. Do you get any feedback from women in the sports broadcasting yeah. world that are sick of the wokeness when it comes to all the gender yeah. stuff? Yeah, that's I, got that to me is the most obvious one. Like we can argue about some of the the racial stuff yeah. and, and numbers and things like that, but this one now where we're seeing you know trans wrestlers oh. uh, beating the crap basically yeah. out of uh, you know genetically female women and it's yeah. like. Now the feminists are for well, that. It's yeah, like, I think what that. What are we doing? Yeah, here? I think on. that's. You talked about how do you blow it up? I think you have to follow the logical collapse of the argument, right? Um, and to me, choosing your gender is—it's wild to me that we're okay with choosing your gender, but choosing your race is wildly offensive, mm-hmm. right? Like, so Rachel Dolezal is a like is like a social pariah. Yeah. But if Rachel Dolezal was a woman who decided to be a man, we would all have to respect that decision. And my thing is, it seems easier to choose to align yourself with a racial group than it does to change your gender, <laughs> right. right? But the next step from the world... Soul Man? Yeah, yeah. Back, oh, can there you imagine you that coming out today? That would be amazing. <laughs> uh, yeah. But to me, the next step that you take that is, uh, that, is, that is fascinating here is Caitlyn Jenner is a great example. ESPN gives Caitlyn Jenner an ESPY. What would have happened if in the 1970s when Caitlyn Jenner is dominating, uh, Bruce Jenner is dominating in the Olympics, he had then decided, mm-hmm. I'm going to become a woman and I'm going to come back and I'm going to you know, compete against all the women. He would have dominated even more, right? Like This is the greatest athlete in the world as a man. If he flips over and becomes a woman, he's going to dominate even more. So this idea that you can choose your gender and that you should then be allowed to compete as that gender. It's like they made a joke movie about this. Do you remember yeah. like Juana Man? Man. Yeah. yeah, back in yeah. the day. But, but, but that is going to happen. That's the logical they, fallacy they, they, of the I argument. I cannot wait till some 42-year-old wash up, washed up NBA guy who played like seven seasons yeah. and scored three points a game becomes the The, the best player in the WNBA. In the WNBA. And you guys are going to have to take it. Yeah, look, what? I mean, and I think that's honestly what you need to have happen 
in order for the logical fallacy of the argument to fall apart, right? Like, um, and I, I think that's ultimately what spells the end of wokedom in the world of sports is what you're just talking about. There are going to be a lot of dads and moms who have watched their daughters train their entire life to be able to win the mm-hmm. sprint state championship. And then there suddenly is a 17-year-old who is a male that has decided to identify as female and wins the competition by 20 yards, right? Because this is, again, just is. men just are is. better athletes than women. Like yeah. I've got people right now, my Twitter mentions, talking about the U.S. women and the U.S. men debate. And they're like, oh, if the U.S. women played the men, they'd win. And I'm like, you, the, the U.S. women lost to a 15-and-under boys uh, all-star team from Dallas, right? Like, men are better at all sports yeah. than women are. That's not sexist. That's biology, right? So, therefore, men who are bigger, stronger, and faster than women who suddenly decide to identify as women are going to be better. And even if they get all the complicated hormone stuff, like, you're still built physically in a way that most women are not, right? Like you're still, you got all the height advantages of testosterone, all the shoulder, you know, strength, everything else. It's, uh, it's it ludicrous. It just is. It's not, it's not offensive to say that. When, yeah. when a woman dunks in the WNBA, which has only happened a handful of times, yeah. it's like a miracle. Yes. It's, Every NBA player can yeah. dunk. I'm pretty sure John Stockton dunked once. Well, like, it was like, I, and this is again in my book, Republicans Buy Sneakers too. John McEnroe got criticized for saying Serena Williams be like the 700th best men's player in the world. I talked to a bunch of men's tennis players, pros, and they're like, she couldn't make a men's college teen, tennis team. Doesn't mean she's not an outstanding women's tennis player, yeah. but her talent doesn't translate into the arena with men. And that doesn't mean that women are inferior to men in life. Right. It means that athletically, men are superior to women. Well, you saw the way they were going after Martina Navratilova. Oh, yeah, for her, when she wrote that piece. Yeah. And that speaks to, I think, the, the danger of actually interjecting yourself into the conversation. Because Martina Navratilova could have just set out of it. I think she wrote an op-ed piece yeah. for a, a British newspaper. Yeah. Uh, I remember there was one season, right? Maybe the first or second season of the WNBA. You remember Cynthia Cooper, who was yeah. on the Houston Comets? And she was like running circles around everybody. Yeah. She had great handles. She had all these sick moves. And I remember watching her and I was like, could this girl possibly make it in the NBA? And in my mind, I thought that maybe she could. Yeah. But that's just crazy. It's ludicrous. It's just crazy. It's it, it's like the argument, and this goes into Title IX, that I've always found would be fascinating from a legal perspective. You talk about extending the logical, uh, the logical fallacy of the argument. Football is not a men's sport. Like, if you really think about it, every scholarship that you get in college to play football is open to women. Like, softball is a women's sport. Baseball is a men's sport. Men's basketball, men's sport. Men's, uh, you know, basketball, I mean, women's basketball, women's basketball, right? They're defined by their gender. Football is open to everyone. If Tom, if, if Bill Belichick could find a, you know, five foot four woman who could be the takeover or a six foot four woman or whatever it is for Tom Brady, he would sign that uh-huh. person to play in the NFL. And so would every college coach. Those women don't exist. So is that the sickest tw- twist to this whole thing? That, yeah. that sports really, because of rules, yes. is the great equalizer. One I billion never percent. never played basketball. It's the ultimate meritocracy. You know, I, I think I maybe told you this last time you were here, but uh, Sue Bird went to the same high school yeah. as me. She was younger than me, but every now and again, she would come out to the courts where I was playing. Right. And she'd run circles around everybody. She yeah. was awesome. She, yeah. I have no problem saying that. She was freaking awesome. Yes. And it's like, that doesn't mean she's going to go to the NBA. Right. 
but we can acknowledge that within the the skill set playing against all of us, yeah, yeah she freaking killed us. To me, it's like uh, looking at the uh, the scatter plot or the bell curve, right? Like uh, most people are somewhere in the the range of the top, right? And then there's outliers. If you put male and female athletic ability on that same chart, it doesn't mean that some women are not substantially better, even than most men when it comes to athleticism. But when you look at the extremes, which are the people who end up making a living. The men athletically are on a totally different stratosphere than the most athletic women. So when you say Sue Bird's a great example, Sue Bird can be a lot better than most men at basketball and nowhere near yeah. the extreme of the most talented men's basketball players. All right, let's. Uh, we only got a couple minutes left, so let's just hit a couple yeah. other things. So th- there's also been a little through line here that sort of as people like you are doing their own thing out of the institutions and as the institutions are crumbling, I've come to the belief that sort of the platforms, that all of this is going to crumble, that yeah. none of these things are sustainable. And it'll be on creators yes. and, and innovators to figure out how to reach their communities. Um, do you kind of view the, the future of the internet that way? Because yeah. we're also in the middle of that game right now, which is just, what is all of this going to become? Yeah, I think a lot about that because what am I ultimately in the business of? Words, right? I produce, and that's why the money that I've made, I've tended to roll into buildings, right? Because everything that I do is so ephemeral. But I think we're in an era when, and I don't know when it's going to be, I think it's going to happen soon. You will get into your car, which you may not be driving at all, but would be transporting you somewhere, and you will hopefully say, play me the most recent Clay Travis, mm-hmm. right? And and boom, it's ready to go. Now, podcasts kind of have that, but I think that all audio is going to converge, right? I think radio, I think podcast, I think uh, you know shows like this, which can exist in both audio and video format. Everything converges, and it becomes an opportunity to distribute your content in a way where there's almost no top down, Mm -hmm. right? Everything sort of becomes bottom up. And what can eventually happen is bottom up can become massive. And I think the ability of companies to create stars is going to be diminished and almost everything is going to be rising from a bottom up. And then big companies will say, oh, I see this person, they're successful, and they'll try to attach to them. Uh, But I think all the time about, for instance, on television, I think you'll come in and you'll sit down and you will click on the latest app uploads from, you know, maybe it'll be people like you and me all coming together and like we'll have our own brand and it'll be under this brand umbrella, right? Mm -hmm. You can go kind of check because, you know, if people like you, they might like me and you kind of get an affinity that way. Everything is so competitive. And to me, Reed Hastings has said it so brilliantly. Our competition is not HBO, it's sleep. Mm -hmm. And I think we're all competing against sleep. I think there are so many, you know, I was talking about this with a buddy the other day. Sports used to be in the summer. I'd sit around and watch the Braves on TBS. I'd watch the uh, the, uh, the Cubs on WGN, whatever other game, because everything else was a rerun on television yep. in the summer, right? Nowadays, I think baseball struggles because Stranger Things 3 is coming mm-hmm. out, right? Like my kid's watching Stranger Things right now. Yeah. Um, my oldest is. My two younger would be terrified, I think, if they got to watch it. <laughs> so we're all competing everywhere simultaneously. I think the amount of audience will diminish, but I think the intensity of that audience will grow such that people really, really love the things that they love. Yeah, it's interesting how when you're in these things, even though we're in sort of different worlds that obviously yeah. have a lot of overlap, that you start thinking about the same thing. Oh, yeah. Because I've been getting offers left and right, and what I keep coming back to is, for the first time now, just because of the craziness with YouTube and everything else, I'll consider distribution offers. Where yes. it's just I just want my stuff to get out there. I don't care whether right. it's that you hopped in your automatic car and you can just say, play Ruben yeah. Report, or it's some other way. But that appeals to me rather than uh, the reverse of the top-down thing. Right? Yeah. I don't want to be 
associated with these big things that will ultimately one day come and get me. So it's, it's, it's interesting how we all sort of end up hovering around the same ideas. You know? Yeah. And look, I mean, the reason why I love doing your show is I do think there's cross pollination, right? I yeah. think people like we're going to have, I'm going to have you on my podcast. I think some people will hear you on my show and they'll be like, I never knew that guy existed. Oh, I like him. Right. Yeah. And so I think it's, it's going to be incumbent upon creators to find other creators that they like and sort of allow those two audiences to intermingle in some way uh, to create bigger audiences for people of like minds. Let's just wrap with one other thing. We talked about it right before we started. Um, just the way money is completely out of control yeah, right yeah, now yeah, with yeah, all yeah. these leagues. You, you, I kept asking, well, who's the guy that just signed that crazy deal? He said, Denny Green. And this guy, he's won a couple of championships, good yeah. three-point shooter, decent player. I don't think he's ever maybe made an all Lakers season. gave him $30 million. $30 million for two 15, years. 15 like, million each. That these numbers are getting so out of control that at some point, People are going to go to these games. I mean, I haven't been to, I didn't go to one NBA game last season for the first time in my life. Right. I was just more because I was busy. But it's like at some point, these things will just price themselves out and everyone's just going to be like, I'm not buying these $80 jerseys anymore. I'm not buying $12 sodas. Yeah. I think what athletes are going to have to recognize is who pays their salary. And I think this is, I think, an important lesson for anybody employed by anyone. Who pays your salary? Where does the money come from? Right following that thread to knowing how you get paid. I think a lot of athletes have become comfortable alienating the fan bases that define their paychecks because they don't see that direct connection, right? Because the television contracts are signed for 10 years, uh, because their contracts are guaranteed for multiple years. But ultimately, it's the fan pulling money out of his or her pocket that is justifying what you are allowed to make. And I think whether it's Colin Kaepernick, whether it's LeBron James, alienating fans, Megan Rapino, for mm-hmm. any reason, is just bad business, yeah. right? And that's kind of the essence of my argument, is that Michael Jordan had it right when he was asked, how come you don't get intensely political because Republicans buy sneakers too? He's not in the business of needing for everybody to know what he thinks about politics from one day to the next. Um, and I think as, uh, as athletes are trying to turn into uh, repositories for political ideas, good, you know, left, right, indifferent, whatever they are, it's bad for their brands and it's bad for the leagues overall. All right. Follow Clay Travis's brand at Clay Travis (laughs) on the Twitter.